Miracy. And then being radically honest. And I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. When you have those three superpowers going into a sales conversation, you are in total control. All the pressure is off you and all the pressure is off them. Are you a coach struggling to convert leads into paying clients? Do you wish you had a magic formula for making your discovery calls more effective and impactful? If so, you are not alone. Many coaches face challenges in growing their businesses, but the good news is that there are some practical strategies you can use to overcome these obstacles. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. Today, we're going to dive into a burning question that many coaches face. How can coaches lead discovery calls that convert? We're going to explore the reasons why coaches often struggle with sales and just share practical tips and strategies for making the sales process easier and more effective. Today, I've invited David Newman to the show to explore this topic with me. David specializes in thought leadership marketing through seminars, consulting, and coaching programs. He's a professional service sales expert who works with leading consultants, coaches, and works with speakers who want to land better clients, bigger deals, and higher fees. He's a professional speaker and author of Do It Marketing, 77 Instant Action Ideas to Boost Sales, Maximize Profits, and Crush Your Competition. And he's a host for his own podcast, The Selling Show. Welcome, David. Hey, Melinda. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. I am so happy to have you on the show. And before we dive into our topic, would you mind just sharing a little bit of background with our listeners? I started my business back in 2002, complete and utter disaster. I mean, I struggled mightily for years, like about two or three years till I finally got my head screwed on straight. And my business today is really dedicated to helping the kind of person I was 20 years ago not have to go through that same struggle with marketing and with sales and with the the whole mystery of this getting clients thing that we have to do. I want to talk about this just to really kind of, I don't know if it's demystify or debunk or really help folks put it in perspective, but let's talk about discovery calls. Now, when I started in my coaching business over 20 years ago, they were really referred to as sample sessions. Let's talk about what it is, like what's really all about that discovery call. So the first reframe that I think would be massively, massively helpful to every coach and um, everyone who does these kinds of calls, imagine if that discovery call slash initial sales call, imagine if they're already signed up, they're already a client, and what it really is, it's your first coaching call. And so if you reframe the initial sales conversation as the initial delivery conversation, and this is true, you know, coaches deliver coaching, consultants deliver consulting, trainers deliver training, whatever that delivery mode is, don't think of it as a sales call. 
Think of it as the first moment of delivery. And Melinda, you know this, a masterful sales conversation is truly a masterful coaching conversation. And it's based on questions. Now, I want before we get into the steps, and we are going to cover the steps and the details, I just I want to push back a little bit and want to have some fun with this. Because the coaches that I've taught, worked with, mentored, a lot of them, when they think of it as a masterful coaching conversation, what I have found is that they show up and they deliver incredible coaching because they're great at what they do, but they leave the sales piece out of it. They don't, they just like, well, you loved it. So if you love it, then you'll sign it. Like they're thinking this in their brain and they don't actually integrate the sales components of that. So talk about that a little bit with your reframe. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, And I think you and I are of the same mind here. So the first moment of delivery, I want to separate that from it's a sample coaching session. It is not a sample coaching session. So think of it as we can come in and we can start solving problems or shedding light on some possible solutions. That's what we do in coaching. That this kind of coaching slash discovery It's about question collection. It's about what questions does that prospect have? What urgencies, what issues, what priorities do they have? Everything good and every piece of value, significant value, is delivered on the other side of you being hired. So I do not believe in quote unquote free consulting, aka free coaching. This is something where it is very strategically engineered to give a sense of connection, a sense of trust, and a sense of the coach knowing exactly what that prospect is going through and knowing how to fix it, but we're not fixing it on this call. And we're not giving advice. Our job is not to put Band-Aids on issues that we barely have time to uncover in the first place. I love that distinction, a masterful coaching conversation versus that sample coaching session. Yes. There has to be some intention behind that. And that's what we're going to get into today. In these conversations, we're using masterful coaching. We're using our the skills that come natural to us. We're using that. And it's about the what and the why, but not the how. You, the coach, are the how. And if they want to get the how, they have to hire you. And I have had so many of these uh, initial conversations where people are like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing, exactly what I need. Now tell me how I do this. And I say, well, that's actually the work that I do in my coaching packages. And they're like, I, I, I know, I know, I know. But just tell me how to do this. And I'm like, well, no, that's why you hire me. Right. Because we can't do it in this conversation, but when we can spend more time together. And so many people, they're like, I understand that. But if you can just give me the how, sometimes I have had to be really direct and like, you have to hire me. That's how you do this. And they're like, <laughs> oh. Okay. (laughs) That is so great. That is so great. Sometimes we have to be that grounded in our boundaries and our clarity so that we don't give a false sense of completion. So why do you think most coaches fear or avoid sales and those kind of conversations? I think it's probably three different sources of resistance. Number one is bad sales training. Number two is bad sales experiences as a prospect, and uh, it's also bad sales people. So if we reframe the whole sales conversation as, let's just call it an invitation 
It's an invitation-based conversation about how you might be able to help that particular prospect. So those two key words, I talk about this in the Do It Selling book, that not a lot of people are afraid of invitations. Invitations usually mean something good is on the other side, like cake or cookies or a party or barbecue or something like that. And then the second word is conversation. People generally enjoy conversations. You get to meet new people. You get to exchange ideas. You get to develop friendships. Maybe those friendships become referral sources. Maybe they become clients. Maybe simply become friends. So generally, we're not afraid of conversations. So if we take the word sales and selling totally off the table, how about we just dedicate ourselves to inviting more people to conversations about how we might be able to help them? I love that reframe because immediately it's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. And that's all that we have to do. Now there's some intention behind it and we're going to get into that. But one of the things I also want to explore and would love to hear your perspective on this, like a lot of them fear the no. They just, they so desperately do not want to hear no. And then they'll start to internalize it, take it personally. Talk about that. Why do so many people fear getting a no? I think the two things that we have to let go as professional coaches in the sales process, number one, the need to sound smart. Number two, the need to be liked. So when we hear no, it's like, oh, they don't think I'm smart enough. They don't think I'm good enough. They don't like me. When I hear no, so you know, imagine, again, invitation to a conversation. I'm inviting you to this amazing party. And it's on the you know, top floor of this amazing penthouse in Chicago. And Beyonce is there. And you know, George Clooney's in the corner. And the music is going. And everything is awesome. And this is my business. Someone knocks on the door. I go to the door. I open the door. I say, hi, welcome. Come on in. They look around. They see George, they see Beyonce, they see this amazing spread of food and, you know, amazing, you know, party lights and everything. They go, nah, you know what? I'm good. I'm, I'm not going to come in. How do I feel about that person that just knocked on the door and decided not to come into my party? I don't feel rejected. I don't feel that I'm less than. I'm going to go have a drink with Beyonce. Are you kidding me? I genuinely have a sense of empathy and regret that they are not going to come in and enjoy this amazing, incredible once-in-a-lifetime party experience. So I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. I don't care if they like me. I don't care if they think my party is awesome or not. I know in my heart that they're missing out. And so that is the way to reframe. And how do you get into that mindset of being there with uh, George and Beyonce and the whole crew? Uh, think of all of your client successes. Think of all of the impact that you've had and the gratitude and the kudos and the recognition, that's your party. The next person that says no to you, I would just I would just have a lot of empathy for them and say, wow, really? You are missing out. And by the way, we're just about to open the champagne. I love that reframe. And I want to come to your party. Like that is definitely a party I would come to. And now we do have a lot of listeners. Let me ask you this. Because it's something that we share with our students all the time. I'm always telling them, all those testimonials, have you printed them out? Are they taped on your wall? Create a wall of awesomeness. Like just wallpaper your office wall with testimonial after testimonial, case study after case study. One of my colleagues did it on post-it notes. Every time he got one, he wrote it on the person's name, went in the corner, and he wrote a little bit of blurb of the testimonial or statement on a post-it note. 
and just had this rainbow of colors on his entire wall. It was so cool. And you couldn't help but get goosebumps just by being around that wall of awesomeness. Now, some of the folks that are listening in, I'm guessing they're thinking, but wait a minute, I'm brand new. I don't have all those testimonials. I don't have those client successes. How do I, how do I get my heart into it like that when I'm brand new? What do you say to those folks? Well, I think this can be from any arena of your life, right? So this can be from past jobs, previous roles. I mean, we all, we all are rock stars in our domain. I love the wall of awesome, by the way, because that makes it concrete. That makes it real. I think keeping a journal of every major accomplishment, everything that was difficult, hard, painful. I mean, there are people that they might be new coaches, but they've run marathons. They might be new coaches, but they've had three babies. I've had no babies. Um, my wife has, but I, I have had no babies, <laughs> me, me, me personally. There are people that have overcome cancer. There are people that have just had amazing, incredible successes overcoming major, major obstacles, delivering home run projects for their company, having these peak experiences, whatever they are. So it doesn't have to be in the realm of the current coaching business that you're running today. But I always say this too, Melinda, you absolutely have to get in touch on a visceral level with your own fabulousness because no one's going to value your coaching more than you. And no one's going to value your business more than you. So if you don't think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, we got to work on that mindset. We got to work on that identity. And I talk early on in the Do It Selling book, this is very much on point, about self-esteem versus self-worth. So self-worth, we generally don't have, you know, don't have a big problem because that's us in terms of ourselves. Self-esteem is us in terms of the world. So think of, think of self-worth as when you're singing in the shower. And you're having a good old time. You're soaping yourself up and you're hitting all those notes. You're totally not hitting some of those notes. Doesn't matter, but you're having an awesome time. And then you get in your car and then you go to a meeting of some kind. Oh my God, is my lipstick on right? Do I have broccoli in my teeth? My, I'm having a bad hair day. I should not have worn these shoes. So self in terms of self, generally no problem. Self in terms of the outside world, that's what we have to work on. That's what we have to condition. That's where we need that external reinforcement of the Beyonce party and the wall of awesome. I love that distinction. And, and I was thinking, you took me back to when I first started, because I used to be in interior design. I didn't even know what coaching was when it found me. And when I first started, I was using successes from the work that I did with my interior design clients and using that. So finding what is your domain that through line and those successes and bringing that to the forefront. So even if you're new, if you're listening in and you're new, this is still very much applicable to you. Totally. So David, I know that you don't like to say sales questions. We kind of talked a little bit about that earlier. You really call them investigative journalism questions, like 60 Minutes or Oprah. Like, what do you mean by that? So deep dive investigative journalist questions get people, it's like a shark. You know, a shark goes deep fast. I think where a lot of coaches make a mistake is if, if you listen back to a couple of enrollment calls that they've had, they stay way too surface. They keep it safe. They keep it polite. They keep it small talk. They keep it nice. We have to go deep fast. 
And so one of my opening questions that I like to share with people is, give me a quick sketch of your professional journey up to this point. What have you done to get to where you are today when it comes to problem X, whatever our coaching topic happens to be? And then we'll spend the rest of the call on where you'd like to go next. So what does that question do? That gets the prospect talking in the first 10 seconds. It's very, very important because number one, it lowers the pressure on you when you're not talking. And as far as the prospect is concerned, trust is built when they're talking, not when they're listening. So we need to talk less and listen more. And so this gives a good five to seven minute background of where they've been, what they want, what's missing, funky, broken, and sad, where they would like some things to be. And then the second question that, again, relieves all the pressure, lowers the sales shields, both for you and for them, Melinda, thank you so much. Great background. Very much appreciated. Let me ask you, do you mind if I treat you like a fee paid client during this call? And most people will go, uh, sure, but what does that mean? A few people might just say, sure, that'd be great. But most people want to know, well, what do you mean? And my answer to what do you mean is, well, that means a couple of things. That means that we've got a limited time today. And like with all my clients, I want to maximize the value of our time together. That means that I'm going to ask for your permission to interrupt. I'm going to ask for your permission to redirect our conversation if I feel that it's going off in a non-productive direction. And the final thing is, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear and not necessarily what you might like to hear. Do I have your permission to do that? Now, think about those three superpowers that you just got permission for. Permission to interrupt. A skilled coach knows how to creatively and productively interrupt. Redirect. A skilled coach is brilliant at productive redirection of a conversation when a client gets into storytelling or goes off on a tangent or is, you know, the conversation is not kind of serving the purpose that you want it to have. And then being radically honest. And I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. When you have those three superpowers going into a sales conversation, you are in total control. All the pressure is off you and all the pressure is off them. I just want to let that sit for a moment because that was gold and so beautiful, like jumping right into those masterful coaching elements, like you said at the beginning, it's a masterful coaching conversation that we're having. Like that's what this is at the heart of it. Let's keep going. What are, let's break down the steps for a powerful discovery call. Uh, What else would you do? So... The first thing is once you get into the meat of your discovery, there are three rules in law school. Literally, there are three rules of cross-examination. And these are also the same rules of a masterful discovery call. Number one is they teach this. You need to use leading questions. Now, you've seen this on the courtroom dramas. Your honor, I object. You're leading the witness. Now, what that means is that you have to ask leading questions without them sounding like leading questions. Like, didn't you just say, right? So use leading questions and you're leading them down a path of discovery of the reality of their own situation. Because sometimes prospects come onto a call with some denial and some blinders and some self-soothing delusions. 
and it's not that bad and I can probably fix it on my own. And, you know, gosh, coaching is expensive. And we have to get through all of that nonsense. Rule number two, ask one new fact per question. So sometimes coaches, especially if they're not great at selling, they get kind of nervous, happy puppy syndrome, and they will ask three questions at once. So how long has that been a problem? What have you done to try and solve it? And how much do you think that's costing you? You ask all three of those questions together, you get a very confused prospect. So slow down to speed up one fact per question. And then the third rule of cross-examination is questions must follow a logical progression to each specific goal in that sales conversation. So in other words, we're not just peppering them with random questions. We have a questioning strategy that has a certain flow and a certain syntax. So I'll tell you what my flow is, what my syntax is. I generally walk them through a questioning strategy that starts with, well, tell me the three biggest problems when it comes to whatever it is they said that they want to talk about. Then I go right to tell me the three biggest strengths or the three biggest advantages that you have in that same arena. A lot of people, a lot of sales training especially, they want to say, find the pain, dig into the pain, press on the pain. You know, you don't want prospects and you don't want clients who are, are in this victim mentality and, uh, you know, just covered in pain and lack and need. So if you want alpha, you want really successful coaching clients, ask them about where are you strong? Where do you have the upper hand? What's working really well in this area? And that balances out the problems, challenges, gaps, heartaches, etc. Always ask money and metrics questions early and often. So my favorite money and metrics question is simply, can you put a number on it? Whatever they say, can you put a number on it? Can you put a number on it? Can you put a number on it? And then don't just capture the present state. Ask them, how about last year versus now? Has that gotten better? Has that gotten worse? Did the number go up? Did the number go down? And now versus the desired future. Well, where would you like that to be in six months from now? Where would you like that to be one year from now? And so we're, we're expanding the gap. Obviously, if it's gotten better last year versus now, but it's still not where they need to be, again, it's positive reinforcement because now we're acknowledging, hey, you've already done some things. Maybe it hasn't been big enough. Maybe it hasn't been fast enough, but you've improved the situation somewhat. Good job. What's the next leg of the journey? And then that taps into their ambition. That taps into their outcome. That taps into their goal. And now we're having a positive uh, conversation instead of purely a negative conversation. So this is what I mean about the first moment of delivery. Last bit of uh, stuff here, and then I'll uh, clam up here for a second. But here's the magic can opener question at this second phase of our dialogue. Well, pretend we're starting our work together. What's the first thing you'd ask me? Now, it's funny because most coaches, right, we, we ask the questions, but we're asking the prospect, hey, what's the first thing that you would want to ask me? And then you ask, what would we tackle next? And what after that? And now you're asking another magic question. The first magic question I gave you is, can you put a number on it? The second magic question is, and what else? And what else? And what else? And what else just keeps on peeling the onion and keeps on building building up that shopping list of awesome, amazing things that they'd want to work on once they hire you. Notice that when I say, what's the first thing you'd ask me? 
I am not about to answer that question. So very important point here, Melinda, we're in question collecting mode. We are not in question answering mode. I mean, you've dropped so much in those few moments. I'm actually taking notes and I too have done thousands and thousands of enrollment conversations. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to use that question. So I love how you've broken that down. So we've talked about the first two phases, that opening question and sequence, and then the questioning strategy. What, what's next in a powerful discovery call? This is now like graduate level PhD ninja questions. Uh, we're continuing to kind of future pace what working together would look like, but we're also doing some objection busting in advance. So think about every reason that a prospect would have to say no to you. No time, no money, no urgency. This isn't really a big deal. Maybe I'll fix it on my own. You want to be asking questions that you want them to hear themselves say. So how do you see this ending up if all goes well? What would be a home run result for you? And then how would you describe our ultimate destination? And now let's say that you want to find out that how, you know, is this a, Five alarm fire, or is this just a nice to have? Here's the question. There are probably some competing priorities to solving this, right? I'm curious, what are those? Oh my God, we're in the middle of a merger, or if it's personal, oh my gosh, I'm about to move. And you know, my parents just got diagnosed with Alzheimer's and my hair's on fire. It's crazy. So there are probably some competing priorities to solving this. What are those? And those might be personal, those might be professional, those might be financial, those might be all kinds of things. Let's talk about urgency, because sometimes this bad time, no time, oh, we're really busy, things move so fast, I don't have time for coaching. So here is the magic of what I call the now frame. So you want to prevent bad timing, oh, it's busy season, it's the holidays, it's the end of the quarter, it's Christmas time, whatever it is, a bad time. And no time. Oh my gosh, we're moving so fast. I hardly have time to do my job. Blah, 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 blah. I have no time. So no time, bad time. That's the objection that we're busting in advance. Here's what it sounds like. Well, I'm curious, what made you book this call now? Right? So you're doing this way in advance. So these objections haven't even come up yet, but you're earlier in the conversation. You are, you are setting the stage for these objections being irrelevant. Because when you bring up the in the ways first, the prospect can't. They're already used up. So what made you book this call now? What happens if you don't fix this now? Now, throughout the call, you also want to have them feel what it's like if they had the solution now. So here's a set of questions that, you know, imagine that we had this fixed. If you had that going now, what would that mean to you? Because you don't have that now, what problems is that causing? Hmm, because you're not doing that now, what, what do you think that's costing you? If you could fix that now, what would that mean as far as results? So you see where we're going with this. We just took a whole bunch of possible objections that we might get 15, 20 minutes later in this call, and we took them off the table. I love that. And then... We get to exercise our beautiful skill of coaching, of reflecting, because later they'll come up again and, and they'll say something like, oh, but I don't have time or some variation or, oh my gosh, that I just can't afford that. 
And all you have to do is redirect them and say, well, actually what I heard you say earlier was, and you simply repeat what they say. And they're like, yeah, I did say that. Yes. And then you just get to sit there and listen to them work themselves through it. And now we're just holding that space, reflecting to them, maybe a few more questions to help get them in that clarity and to resolve that tension. But I think that's one of the things that I really want our listeners to to take away is in these conversations, they're not designed to feel comfortable. There is a tension that exists in these conversations because the person on the other side of that of the conversation with you, they're in a, a moment where they're deciding, am I going to stay in the land of ambivalence or am I going to do something about this? The energy, if we could see it, like there's a buzz about it. And we have to be able to sit inside that energy and let it be okay for them to be uncomfortable. What else? Is there anything else, David, that we need to know about discovery calls besides the mountains of gold that you've already shared with us? There is indeed. And it it goes back to your brilliant observation that we are building tension here. And uh, for folks that have had a little open loop in your mind, it's like, well, Melinda, what's how do we solve the tension? They buy. They buy from you. That's what solves the tension. So we're going to expand that tension a little bit more with what I call go negative questions. This is another way of putting the in the ways in the way. And they sound like this. What if you don't do anything and you have to with genuine curiosity? So the come from on all these questions is really important. If you if your come from is not right, these questions sound like you're being a jerk. If your come from is right, which means detached, neutral, cool as a cucumber, nothing to hide, nothing to prove, investigative journalist, remember, right? Not salesperson. Investigative journalists, they don't care what the answer is. They're just genuinely curious. So what if you don't do anything? What if nothing changes? And then they tell you the answer. And then you say, well, what's the downside of that? So some of these questions may sound like quote unquote stupid questions, but they can get to the most profound answers if they're asked with the right come from. Now, David, I know that you and I could talk for days and weeks about this topic. I have taken, I don't know, five pages of notes. And I just want to summarize some of the things that we've talked about today, because you have really, I believe, created an incredible perspective on what that conversation is that we have with folks that could benefit from our services. And we started this episode with the distinction between that discovery call or that initial sales call. And you gave us that great reframe. And we talked about the distinction between this being a sample session versus a masterful coaching conversation and how we're doing those investigative questions that we're creating connection and trust And we're doing that through question collection, through identifying the urgencies and the priorities. And you talked about how really it's just an invitation-based conversation about how you may help them, that that really is something positive that both the coach and the other person can get excited about. And you painted that picture of your party and how we have to get in touch with our own fabulousness. I love that. Whether you've been doing this for a while or you're a newbie, We have to let go of the need to sound smart. We have to let go of the need to be liked. We even went through the distinction of self-esteem through self-worth and how we turned those sales questions around. And you gave us the different parts to the discovery call where we had the opening questions, 
where we had the question strategy being very intentional. I love the analogy you gave with the courtroom. And even the ninja questions to bust the objections in advance, take it off the table so that when they do come up later, they're actually irrelevant because the person has already addressed them. We went into the go negative questions. I loved that, how we're taking the do nothing off the table and how we have to make sure that we maintain that coach approach, that genuine curiosity, being detached, being neutral when we're approaching these conversations. And I know we could keep going on and on about that, but for today, do you have any parting words, David, for our listeners? Yes. I want to talk about closing because we didn't talk about closing questions, but a closing question can be extremely, extremely simple. Does this sound like something you want to do? Does this sound like something you'd like to move forward with? Is there any reason that you wouldn't want to get started, right? These are human to human questions and the humanizing the sales conversation and making it real and making it authentic and making it genuine. One of my early sales mentors, and this will be my, my closing fortune cookie, said to me, you know, David, you're, you're so concerned about being a better salesperson. Don't worry about being a better salesperson. Just be a better person and more sales will happen. So my friends, humanize your sales conversation. Be a better person and you will make more sales. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches and a gigantic thank you to David Newman for this incredible conversation. You can find out more about him and his great resources at doitselling.com. That's doitselling.com. And you'll see the links for that in the show notes. Uh, He's got some free resources, a manifesto and trainings on this topic. And David, thank you so much for coming to the show. Melinda, it's been a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as To Lead as Human and Course Lab. Mishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her, and Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer. Danny Innie is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to upcoming and previous great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might be listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you and see you next time. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. 
Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.